Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. Just trying to get situated here. Uh, Man, I'm going to need this stool because I'm going to sit down and really talk to you. Uh, Story time is in session. And uh, I want to just say a couple quick words. Before we get into the Beatitudes, which is a section of Scripture, you should get your phone out. If you're, you're at home right now, get your phone out, get your print Bible out, and go to Matthew 5. That's where the Beatitudes, this, this Christian term, comes from, uh, this way to operate as a Christian in the kingdom. It's Jesus' kind of platform. We're going to talk politics. This is Jesus' announcement of what his platform is all about. So you'll want to go there. Go to Matthew 5 and get that ready. Uh, for where we're going to talk about mercy. But, you know, seeing as we are on the eve of Election Day 2020, I thought that I would just say a brief couple minutes of encouragement to us uh, as Christians living in an election cycle in the year 2020. And I really asked uh, God for something to say on this, you know, because I got, if I went with my opinion, if I went with my gut, if I went with my, you know, first gut check announcement, I could draw a dozen things up really quick. But I want to be real prayerful and just ask God, what is, the, what is the word? You know, give me a word even, Lord, for what it is that our people need to hear heading into this election. And this is the phrase. And if you're taking notes, you can just write this down. This is, I think, really, really important. I believe it really is something that God is trying to reveal to us, His church. And this is what I felt like he was saying. Don't lose your bearings. Don't lose your bearings. Now see, if I can get this clicker working, you're going to get a definition of this kind of seafaring term. Your bearings, right? Anyone who has operated a vessel in the open water will understand this term. To become confused about where you are and where the things are. One's orientation, position, or abilities relative to one's surroundings or situation. Kind of evokes this picture as I thought about it even more this morning. This was a couple days back. I said, God, just you speak. Give me one specific thing around the election. And not what I've heard lately on a podcast or some cool idea that my favorite pundit, you know, kind of spoke. But one cool thing. And that was the word bearings. To not lose your bearing. And then even this morning as I was thinking through it, I thought, well, that's, that's perfect because that sounds exactly like the situation that the disciples faced when they're on the boat caught in a storm. You guys remember the picture, right, of all the disciples? They're in the boat, and Jesus is actually in the boat too, but he's somehow asleep. Can you picture Peter, James, and John, right? Peter freaking out, James, what do we do? James is like, I don't know, man. And they're freaking out. We're supposed to be the leaders. We're Jesus' favorites. Peter, James, and John. You guys get that, right? The three that kind of constantly were with Jesus at all times. I don't have equipment for this. I don't have the tools. Where are we? And where are we heading? And they're just yelling back at each other. I don't know. 
Is that not in so many ways a mirror image of this season we're in right now? And we have been for many months. And I just want to say to us, church, you're, you guys are my church family, okay? I don't have responsibility or obligation to folks outside these church walls or even Christians outside these church walls, but you're my church family. And if I felt like my church family needed a reminder not to lose your bearings, not to freak out, then I want to bring that to you. Listen to the words from, from Mark 4. You, you'd have to look it up. It's not going to be on the screen. I just thought this was so good, especially in this, I think it was the ESV translation. Jesus was inside the boat, sleeping with his head on a pillow. <laughs> that, that part is amazing. How a pillow, uh, any kind of modern conception of a pillow makes it on this vessel, I have no idea. The followers went and woke him. They said, teacher, don't you even care about us? We're going to drown. Be encouraged. If you've said that in the last eight, nine months, you're in good company. Okay? We're just, we're, 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 we're not so different. The apple has not fallen far from the tree. The disciples of 2,000 years ago, us as disciples, students of Jesus, we freaked out. We've said that. Don't you even care? Are you going to stand by and watch us in 2020 flounder around? Verse 39, Jesus stood up and gave a command to the wind and the water. He said, quiet, be still. Then the wind stopped and the lake became calm. He said to his followers, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So that's our encouragement, you guys. I'm not going to get into the specific questions or problems or policies or even people, but I'm just going to tell you, regardless of how you're voting, regardless of how you're feeling this morning, regardless of how you wake up feeling in two weeks from now, just remember, don't lose your bearing. As a son or a daughter of Jesus, you have no means being confused about where you are or who you are in Jesus' name. There's no reason for you to freak out and forget who you are and where you are in orientation to the circumstances or your surroundings. Just be anchored to Jesus. He's in the boat with you. He's in the boat with you. He's in the boat with you. And there's nothing he's never seen coming before. He saw that storm coming. He saw 2020 coming, pandemic, as much as we call it, unprecedented all day long. He saw it coming. He knew before the beginning of time. So take rest in the fact that you can be anchored with Jesus in the boat, all right? So that's my special election notice. I hope you can receive that, and that'll help you as the days and weeks ensue. We're in this series, Flourishing in the Free Fall. Like Bucky said, the study in the Beatitudes. How do you, how do you buy into this new way of living Jesus' kingdom way of living so that you may flourish even when the rest of the world feels like it's in a total collapse, just a total free fall. The answer is the kingdom of God. And we are citizens of that kingdom. We are. We're citizens and servants in that very real kingdom that exists today. As upside down as the values seem, and that's really what it is, as you look at the blessed are thou, blessed are thou, blessed are the poor, what? That's backwards day. Blessed are the meek, what? The humble? No, no, no. This world we live in says beat your chest with pride and glory and brand. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you're humble and you're meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Hold on. Come on, Jesus. There's no reward for crying on the sidelines. How can you possibly reward that? Jesus' kingdom of living is an upside-down, opposite-day type of reality. And it was the same thing. I want to go back for a second. You'll see how this is relevant throughout the message as we talk about mercy. 
Remember, that's about this morning is mercy. And as I was thinking about mercy, I thought about the people all the way back on Palm Sunday. Yes, we're nowhere near Easter and Palm Sunday. We've got still Christmas to go through. But I was thinking about when Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem, right, into the holy city. And there were people who flip-flopped. They got it backwards. They got it opposite. They forgot about their bearing. They forgot who they were and where they were. They forgot who Jesus was. And yet on this day, when Jesus marches in, they're all singing his praises. Praise Jesus. Hosanna, they say. Glory to God the Father. Glory to God's chosen son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Jewish Savior of the world. That's what they say when Jesus comes into town. And yet only a week later, do you know what that same mob of people would have said? When Jesus was on the stage with Pilate, what does that same crowd say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Where, where did all their meekness and their humility and their mercy go a week prior when they were so stoked to see Jesus come into town and be their saving glory, their hope of the world? They had backwards day. They had opposite day as well. Man, does that terrify me, you guys, that flip-flop? One day saying, yes, Jesus is the one. I serve him. He's the king, and I'm part of his kingdom. And then a week later, crucify him. Does that terrify me or what? It terrifies me for my own sake, for my own heart, my own soul. I don't want to be that sort of Christian. And I don't want my people, my, my family, my church family to be that way either. That's, you know what that is? That's mob. The mob says, crucify him. That's not mercy. And that's kind of the, the whole title, the whole big idea for this morning's message is less mob, more mercy. If you want to write that down, you can. I thought that was a heck of a title. Did anyone else think that's pretty sick? I thought that was sick. Less mob, more mercy. Let me, let me talk about the mob for a second because I just want to get even more relatable. Talked about the first century, talked about, you know, AD 1 when Jesus comes into town, or that's probably AD 30 or 35, but um, what about today? How did we arrive at such a mob mentality moment in 2020? I think it's because 2020 has been the year of cancellation, has it not? Like never in a million years could I have guessed that we would have canceled church on Easter Sunday. Never would have guessed that. Never would have seen that coming. Never would have guessed that we'd have uh, all the holidays from then until now pretty much canceled and cancel church gatherings, cancel your jobs, cancel your, your salaries, cancel, you know, all of these different things that we've seen just have one big cancellation sign across the face. And yet, what has that evoked? There's something that's happened, I think. Now, we're not here, I'm not here to judge or speculate whether that was good or bad or right or wrong. I'm just saying it happened. Did it not? It happened. You didn't have power over it. I didn't have power over it. I could stand on the corner and say, let us open for Easter, and then get a fine from the local government. Sure, okay, cool. And I'd be the self-righteous one. I'm not judging why or why not. It just happened. But I think that something happened inside our hearts. You see, it's easy to talk about what got canceled out there and what we're canceling as a culture and a country. But then something started happening inside our hearts where we started saying, you know what, they're going to cancel me. I'm going to cancel them, man. Right? That's what we do. If you get shoved down and pressed down enough, kicked to the curb enough, what do you do? That little obstinate child inside you, my little two-year-olds, which I have two of them at home, just start to say, no, -uh. you're going to cancel me? I'm going to cancel you. 
And I think that's the spirit and posture that has like gotten amazing snowball effect in 2020. It was bad in March. It's gotten ugly and nasty now that we have, we're at the eve of an election. But there's this whole thing. You guys are familiar with this term. Raise your hand at home. I see your hands. Raise your hand at home or in person, whether you're familiar with the idea of cancel culture. Anyone familiar with that idea? Cancel culture? You can raise your hand. It's a participatory democracy. So you just put it up there and you say, yeah, I know what's up. Because that, like, I have a whole different message. If no one knows what it is, then I have to give two messages. So, okay, good. 50% reporting. That's great. Cancel culture. For those of you who do not know, by the way, that's just another way of saying crucify him. That's what cancel culture is. Crucify them. Crucify that group or that person or that celebrity or that organization. Crucify them. That's what we do in word, thought, or deed. But here's a definition just for practical sake. Maybe I, oh, there it is. Sorry. Thanks, guys. You're the best. Cancel culture. The practice of withdrawing support for or canceling. You could think of it as, a, um, what was the other word I was thinking of? When you, oh, man, I had it, lost it. the synonym for cancel. A boycott. This is boycott, okay? This is our modern-day conception of boycott as cancellation. Public figures, companies, after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. So, for example, when the Girl Scouts of America, on their campaign to celebrate female leaders, posted on their Twitter, way to go, uh, ACB, the new uh, appointee to the Supreme Court. Congratulations, you're a female and you're a leader at one of the highest courts in the United States. The cancel culture came out and said, Oh, no, you don't. Because she's biased and partial. And she's going to sway the court. And I don't like her. And what did they do? They took the post down. You can't just celebrate a female leader for being a female leader. No, you've got to take it down. Or the mob says, crucify you. That's just one example of so many. And I could, I could give examples from both sides. Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, both, both sides just canceling each other to death. You know who else is doing this? The church. Christian to Christian. Well, that pastor did not st- start meeting immediately from March. That pastor closed their doors. Yo, cancel him. Cancel that church. I've watched it happen with my fellow Christians on social media and pastor to pastor. And we send each other these things. Man, just cancel them. Why? Where, where, where does this lead us to? The cancel culture, this cancellation season has led us somewhere, and it's to mobs, dude. It's to mobs. This is what one author said in, in an Atlantic article. Where is that? Here. Ah, ah, yeah, there it is. Here we go. This is what happens kind of in our hearts. We've all done this this season. So this guy says. He says, people are drawn to leaders who use the language of menace and threat who tell group versus group power narratives. You also get a lot more political extremism. People seek closed, rigid ideological systems that give them a sense of security. Right? Anyone been threatened this year? You felt a little threatened? Some of us lost our jobs, for crying out loud. Some of us had to close our businesses. You feel threatened a little bit when someone tries to come after your livelihood? Come after your kids? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to just reach for security too. But the result is not kind. It's not filled with mercy. As this person, uh, Hannah Arendt, once observed, fanaticism is a response to uh, existential anxiety. When people feel naked and alone, they revert to tribe. The radius of trust shrinks, and they only trust their own kind. 
So that tension, that anxiety, that pressure, that, that monumental loss of trust in each other, our neighbors, our community, our friends, those who vote differently than we do, fellow Christian brothers and sisters who view the pandemic differently than we do. We've just said, oh man, I don't like that. I'm going to retreat into my base and I'm going to grab and link arms with the rest of my mob and it's my team against your team. I'm going to get me and mine and we're going to get you against you and yours and we're going to meet on the playground. Guys, that's where we are. I'm not talking about them, they out there. I'm talking about the church. We did that. We've done that. And the call, like we just sang, you guys, in that song, oh, it was wrecked, sitting up here, singing the words of that song. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the kind of culture we need in the church. That's what kind of moment we need heading into election season and then afterwards when stuff is still settling or maybe getting even crazier. We need a moment that says mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah. All right. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) In the Jesus way, you guys, in the Jesus economy, it's not so. That's what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. That's what he's coming out saying in Matthew 5. He's saying mercy triumphs over judgment. When someone has created a fence, what's the Jesus way? What's the backwards opposite day for Jesus? Enemy love? Anyone heard that one before? Enemy love? It's a distinctly Christian DNA. That's a distinctly Christian cultural value is love of enemy. How do we go from love of enemy, turn the other cheek, to eye for an eye? You know, we like to pick and choose, don't we? We like to pick and choose our scripture. And I'm afraid that the church has slipped into this eye-for-an-eye culture, retribution. When I have Jesus here, the words of Jesus, which are the filter for every other verse, that's Jesus' words in the same chapter, Matthew 5. You've heard it said, eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-tooth, repay evil for evil. But I tell you, repay good for evil. Mercy triumphs over judgment in my economy, in my kingdom. Matthew 5, 7, this is what it says. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Less mob, more mercy. Less mob, more mercy. I want to just, I want to get practical, and then I'm going to land this plane, and we'll be out of here. I just want to say first why, then how. Mercy. Guys, if we're going to survive this season, and we're going to maintain any semblance of our Christian witness, our Christian example, we need to be a merciful people. If we're going to be a tribe, we need to be known as the most merciful tribe on planet Earth. Absolutely, 100%. So I want to build an argument. Can I build an argument for a second to say, first, why are we, are we to do this? And then how? Because that, man, you got to answer that question. We need some tools this morning if we're going to become a more, more merciful people. First, why? As I read this, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you look at the parallel verse for this, it comes actually from Luke 6, 36. I, I just put right there, you should pair the two of them. You've got to pair up Matthew 7, and then Luke 6 is Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Plains. He's given another message, and he gives these mirror image verses. A little different. You can see it. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is a mirror image, of, furthermore, of Deuteronomy 18. Be holy as your Father is holy. Of all the Beatitudes, and they are special, and they are unique, and each one has their place. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Bucky talked about that last weekend. So good. Blessed are the merciful. To the question of why, the answer is because that's who my Father is. That's who God is. We have this unbelievable opportunity, you guys. 
And all these other examples, yes, we get to mimic Jesus, we look like Jesus, but distinctly in this value, we get to be about the activity that only Jesus, only God the Father could fulfill as the most merciful agent of all time. That's what he's known for. If nothing else, God the Father, Jesus Christ are known for their merciful forgiveness, right? So that's got to be our why, very first and foremost. We are merciful because our Father is merciful. That's a really big why. Is that not an important why, that we get to be like Jesus in this? We get to emulate the Father in this one specific area? So we got to remember that that's our why. God wants us to be like Him in this area. What about the how? Hey, Benny, will you help me get that cup for me? I've just been yelling at the baptism service. We were outdoors, and the ocean was breaking, and it was awesome, but now my voice is getting a little wrecked. So thank you, Ben Esch. You should sign up for Ben Esch's team and just hang out with the next generation. Teenagers, man, they're the next generation. If you have thoughts about the culture today, if you have thoughts, if you have an opinion about cancel culture today, you want to make sure that those same things aren't replicated in the future, hang out with the youth. Get in the lives of the next generation and make sure that they have a chance to create a new culture, a merciful culture. How, how about the how? How, Ben? How does one actually sign on for becoming more merciful? It's amazing. This, this verse, which I'm going to go back for it if I can do it. There, there we go. <laughs> it's one line. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. About ten words. Very powerful. And in fact, there's a formula in there. I know some people are going to come out, and they're going to be haters, and they're going to send me emails. Ben, Scripture is not formulaic. We were not given a strategy of how to do this, so we must just leave it to chance on how to practice this thing. Well, Ten words. What does it say about how to become more merciful? What does it say? Show mercy. Say it with me. Show mercy. No, no, one more time. Say it with me as I say it. You're going to say it. Show mercy at home. One more time for the people at home. Show mercy. That's how one becomes more merciful, actually. Is that crazy? Is that crazy? That we actually just stand. I love how one podcaster said this recently about how he became so good at interviewing people. He's just a master interviewer. And he said, you know what I did? I just stood at the free throw line. I just stood at the free throw line for like 10,000 hours. (laughs) And I just shot free throw after free throw after free throw. Before you know it, at year three, in year five, in year 10, in year 15, I became pretty good at this. And so in the same way, in this cultural moment, and in the moment that comes next after the election, we're just going to be at the free throw line showing mercy. Just raindrops, just draw, swish, 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 just showing mercy all day long. And then watch what happens in the culture that we create around us. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Mercy filled is another way you could phrase that. Blessed are those who are filled with mercy, because Why? What will happen if what, then what? Then you will be shown mercy. That's so, is that simple? Is that so good? Is that so formulaic that I, I just can't stomach it? It's so good. Jesus doesn't let us down, you guys. You see, but there's, a, there's an issue. Get, you know, give mercy, receive mercy. The world doesn't work that way. The cancel culture says to fix cancel culture, cancel something else. <laughs> In fact, that's what we've done. I'll just speak, you know, for like a lot of the people in this church and a lot of people in Orange County are like represent a conservative base, more of a Republican base. 
That's what we've done, right? We say, forget those guys on the other side. They just cancel culture. I'm going to cancel them. You see, we did that really quick. Just, we did this really insidious, sneaky little jump from, that cancel culture is the worst. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cancel them. What we need maybe is just to be given pause for a second and say, oh, wait, the solution for cancel culture is not more cancel culture. The solution for cancel culture is more mercy, right? Less mob, more mercy. That's what the kingdom says. There's this awesome quote. I'm going to end with this and a story, and a band can come up. You guys can come up actually right now. You've heard this quote maybe before. This is famous. So good. And it's like really theological. What's on the screen right now is really an important piece of theology. Did you know that? There's a difference. Part of what uh, cancel culture, part of what mob mentality says, remember, crucify him. Crucify them. What are those cries for? Those are cries for justice. Those are cries for justice. Why? Because in a cancel culture moment, every single one of us have elevated ourselves to judge, jury, and executioner. If you're not careful, guys, that's what this culture will form you into. That's, we spend all these hours, 160 hours a week, and then we get an hour in church, or an hour in small group, hour in Bible study, whatever it is. Those 150 and 60 hours of cancel culture are trying to form you into a mentality that says, maybe I am judge, jury, and executioner. Before long, you start to believe it. You know where we need to be? Is where I know we all were a second ago when these guys just sang that song, Mercy triumphs over judgment. I was smiling and laughing. I wanted to burst into tears as I'm sitting here in the front row singing those words. I just thought about myself. Back to that question, how? First why and then how? If you're wondering, how do I, you know, how do, I do this? Well, it's one thing to just say, I'm going to be more merciful to others. It's another thing, and I think an easier, quicker path to say, Thank you, Jesus, for the mercy that I received today because I needed it so bad. Thank Jesus that I didn't get justice today. That's what I was thinking in the front row today. That even after we did baptisms and my wife came schlepping along with nine kids and the stroller in the sand and she's pushing the kids and then I have the gall. I have the audacity to become short with her and impatient with her between services because I have to get back to church and preach? Dude, I'm sitting there with the song and thinking, thank you, God, for mercy and not justice on my head today because I deserve justice, but I got mercy instead. That's crazy. So if each one of us can come to a place where we say that, thank you, God, forget all the people out here. It's not our job to look at the people. We just look in here. If you look inside here and you say, oh man, that's so cool, I dodged another bullet. (laughs) You're going to be so much quicker to say, you know what, I was just there myself, my man. Even though I disagree with you, I couldn't disagree with you more. I got to give mercy to you because I got mercy. That's how we jump into a merciful culture. That's how we move from mob to mercy. Oh man, there's this amazing story. I'm gonna end with this picture of mercy, right? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
I think in this moment, in this culture, in this season, we've lost our self-awareness. I'm not saying that you need to tear yourself down and believe lies. No, you know what you say? That's the one thing you're allowed to say, cancel culture to. When the enemy comes at you with lies about who you are, you say, I cancel you in the name of Jesus because you have that power. That's just a simple tool, and that was a bonus for you, okay? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that in this season, because we got our eyes locked on every other bad guy, we've had a fundamental inability to look inside ourselves. Our self-knowledge has gone through the floor. Our self-awareness has gone through the floor. We forget just how much mercy we require. We didn't get what we deserved. There's this amazing story of, of this woman, a sinful woman she's called, literally in Scripture. And she comes before Jesus, and she's got this expensive perfume. And she just pours it all over his body to anoint him, for, to prepare him for his suffering, his execution, and his burial. Sinful woman. And Jesus says, I forgive you, I give you mercy even after the life that you've lived. There's a person, uh, we'll call her Liza. Liza was born on the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. She was not dealt a solid card in terms of her family, in terms of her mom or dad. In fact, her Dad was probably the one who sold her into a life of crime, prostitution. And that's the life that Liza lived as a teenager, very early on, having her body taken advantage of. And then because that's the only version of love that she knew, had many men in her life intimately. And in that same life, because she didn't have nobody, she chose a life of crime, a life of drugs. Bought and sold drugs. Got pregnant with babies. Left those babies in a motel room. Went back to her life of crime and drugs and men. It's a real story. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. Maybe someone you know fits that bill. Can we just, instead of reading that story of the woman as some esoteric, age-old thing, some person I don't know, what if it's Liza, the birth mom of the babies that I've adopted in my home? What if it's Liza? Who's that same woman who finds Jesus and finds mercy. And when she goes to meet Jesus, instead of saying, man, you're done, sorry, you gotta get justice. Even though you were dealt a bad hand, you chose, you had freedom of choice. It's not a cultural value that we esteem in Orange County, in this place. You had choice, you could have gotten yourself out of that and do not pass go. Do not collect $100. You're gonna get justice instead of mercy. I am so thankful. But that's not the God we serve. I'm so thankful that's not the Jesus that met that woman. 
or the Jesus that Liza will one day meet or the Jesus that I met. So thankful that he gives us mercy, not justice. You guys, we're entering into a season where, I, now this is what's at stake. Gave you the first the why, then the how. Here's what's at stake. The church brand has never faced such a crisis of affiliation. If someone comes to know that you or I are a part of this tribe, the Christian tribe, the next question is, what kind of feelings does it evoke? Are the sensations and feelings and memories and experiences these people have, is it just absolute respect and awe and honor and love? Oh, wow, I finally found one, a Christian. I can sense some of you guys squirming and, 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 and I can sense the voices in your head saying, no, that's not what I hear too often when I have to share it with someone that I'm Christian. But what if, what if our tribe was known for the ways that we forgive radically, that we dole out mercy instead of justice everywhere we find it. Even those people have been used and abused and then repeated a cycle of use and abuse, get mercy instead of justice. What if we were known for that? What if that was our base? What if that was our tribe? Then the whole world would know us for our love. Who said that now? Jesus said that you will be known as one of my disciples for the way you love one another. And that's what we have to get back to. Don't wait for election day. Don't wait for after the election. Don't wait for next year. Don't wait for the next crisis. Right now, I pray that we'd be abounding, that we'd be mercy-filled, and that that would then change a whole culture of the church. That's my prayer, and I'm going to do that right now. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. We'll bless you guys. God, I just thank you so much for this word of mercy. I thank you for how I needed it today. I needed it this week. I needed it this year. And I know there's someone else out there who needed this word of mercy, Jesus. Let us be a people so filled with mercy, so overflowing and abounding with mercy, God, that the world would know us by our mercy. It would know us by the way we love one another. This is our time to shine, God. This is our time for the church to shine, Jesus. And even though the waves crash over the bow and the boat seems like it's going to capsize any second, Lord, we just cling fast to you, Jesus. And we'll keep our bearing to know who we are, where we are, and where we're going. I pray that would be true for every single person here. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.